You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. For those of you staying in here this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew 18 this morning. If you've been with us, you know we were currently going through the book of Romans, then we took a break for Christmas, and Pastor Brian led us through Dwelt Among Us, our Christmas series. We're going to continue that break from Romans, though, as Pastor Brian is on sabbatical this month. We're going to be spending the next five weeks going through a new series that I've entitled Potent Parables. Potent Parables. We're going to be looking about five of Jesus' parables. Today we're going to be starting with the parable of the unforgiving servant. So make your way over to Matthew 18, starting on the 21st verse. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, we're going to be on page 873. And then, as always, you can find all the scriptures and so much more in the Version Bible app. You can go ahead and pull that up, find our event under the More tab, and select Redeeming Life Church. As you're making your way there, I just want to encourage you to please keep Pastor Brian and the Catherines in your prayers this month as he is on a sabbatical. Despite what he might have told you, sabbatical is not the Greek word for vacation. It's actually a time where he's going to be really seeking the Lord through prayer, through his word, and through just some time alone with God. So pray that this would be a restful time for them, and a time for them to just really connect as a family, and, and just really have a great time. I've worked with Pastor Brian for about six years now. He's not one to slow down very often, or even hit the pause button. But I know this is going to be a really fruitful time for him, to just really connect with his family and with God. So pray for him, keep him in your prayers this month. All right, let's begin our time together by looking at God's Word. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, starting in the 21st verse. It says, Then Peter approached him, this is Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him, and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me. And I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed. They went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. Verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you 
forgives his brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Will you bow your heads as we pray before we examine this together? Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we're able to spend sitting under the preached word, hearing from you. Lord, help us to be attentive this morning. Open our minds and ears and our hearts to hear from your word today. Speak through me, Lord. Use me. Help me to be faithful to your text and honoring to your word this morning. Help me to handle it rightly today. Lord, I pray that this would be the firm foundation of a start to a new year, focused on you, centered on you, and a life lived dedicated to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if we were to go back and and read the entirety of this chapter, beginning in verse 1, we would see earlier on in the chapter, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 18, a conversation takes place between Jesus and his disciples over who the greatest is, to which Jesus responds by explaining how truly amazing kids are. Then Jesus shares a parable that most of us are familiar with about the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep behind in order to search for the one who's gone astray. And then finally, Jesus shifts gears and starts to explain to his disciples how they should respond when someone sins against them, starting in verse 15. And this is actually the turning point that brings us to this parable this morning. If we look back and we read verses 15 through 17 together, we'll see what prompts Peter's question here at the beginning of our text today. Look with me at verse 15. Verse 15, Jesus is talking and he says, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Out of these instructions on forgiveness from Jesus, Peter raises his hand and says, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? If I forgive my brother or sister seven whole times, will that be enough? This is, this is Peter's question this morning. Is seven times enough? Which seems like an odd number to pick. Seven. It makes you wonder why Peter chose the number seven. That is, until you consider the culture and the Jewish practices of that day. Bible scholars will tell you that during Jesus' lifetime, it was customary, according to rabbinic literature, to forgive someone about one to three times, which could relate to why Jesus outlines a three-step process here in confronting someone when they sin against you. Jesus says here in Matthew 18 that when someone sins against you, you first confront the person. If they still won't listen, you bring one or two witnesses with you to confront that person. And then if they still will not listen, you bring them before the entire church. So here, Peter is saying, I know I'm supposed to forgive somebody three times. I get that. So if I go to the extreme and I forgive them, let's say, seven times, is that not more than enough? Is forgiving someone seven times enough? To this question, Jesus instructs Peter to forgive them 70 times seven. So now, not only does Peter face the dilemma of having to forgive his brother and sister way more than three times, 
or even seven times. Now, Peter has to do math. <laughs> now, people will argue whether Jesus meant that Peter had to forgive somebody 77 times or if he had to forgive them seven times seven, which according to my calculator is 490 times. I'm not great at math, so I had to pull out my calculator. 490 times. There's a reason I'm a pastor and not an accountant. Actually, I am the church's accountant. <laughs> I get a lot of help, all right? The point that Jesus is trying to convey to Peter is that he has to continually forgive his brother or sister multiple times. Jesus is saying that every time they sin against him, he should forgive them. Peter is to forgive them an unlimited number of times. Unlimited forgiveness. That's the point that Jesus is making. We can see that this is the point that Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples through this parable that he shares with them about the unforgiving servant. That's Jesus' point from our text this morning. Unlimited forgiveness. Let's break down this parable together. There are about three to four key players in the story. We've got the king who's settling all his books. He's calling in his debt, everything that's owed to him by his various servants. Then you have the first servant who is in a serious, serious amount of debt. This guy is in trouble. He is definitely not listening to Dave Ramsey. The parable states that he owes the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, for those of you sitting here this morning saying, I don't even have a single talent, <laughs> let me explain what a talent is in this portion of Scripture. Let's break this down. What was a talent? Well, one talent equaled approximately 6,000 drachmas. That doesn't help us much. It's basically the equivalent of 20 years' wages. A common laborer at that time earned about one denarii per day. So to put that in today's reality, if someone earned around $15 an hour, worked about 2,000 hours a year, he would earn about $30,000 a year. You didn't know there was going to be math this morning, did you? So $30,000 a year, based on today's number then, a talent would be equal to about $600,000. So if you're a quick mathematician, then you know that 10,000 talents would be an immense amount of debt. In today's standards, it would be equivalent to $6 billion. $6 billion. There is no way this cat is ever paying back his debt to the king. He could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he'd never be able to repay what he owes. So he has no other choice but to fall fat on his face and beg the king for his forgiveness and his mercy, which is exactly what he does. Look back at verse 25. Verse 25 says, Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything that he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. I don't know how he's going to do that. But fortunately for us, they don't haul off people's wives and children when they file bankruptcy anymore. Fortunately for the man, the king bestows grace on him and forgives him of his insurmountable debt. Now he can go out and do the Dave Ramsey scream, I'm debt free! But our story doesn't end there. Fast forward to the next scene in our parable, and the man who has just been forgiven an immense amount of debt that he could never possibly repay 
He's over at the local 7-Eleven store there in Judea, buying a Slurpee and a hot dog, and he runs into someone who owes him, let's say, 200 bucks. That's basically what happens. Look at verse 28. After being forgiven the loan that he was owed, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, where's my money, man? Where's my money? Pay me what you owe. Now, I mentioned before up here that I love choose-your-own-adventure books. I love choose-your-own-adventure books. And I got to say, if these were one of those times where you could choose how this guy should respond, I don't think I would have gone with this option. I don't think this is what I would have done. The, the first servant, let's call him Bob, He's just been forgiven a huge amount of debt. And here he is shortly thereafter roughing up a guy for what? A hundred denarii? Once again, to put this into context, remember a denarii is roughly a day's wage for a minimum wage worker. So if he owes a hundred denarii, he basically owes about a hundred days wages or a third of a year's worth of work. So it's a little more than 200 bucks, but in the grand scheme of things, in comparison to the debt that this man has been forgiven of, you have to ask yourself, who cares, right? I mean, if I was the man's friend, I'd say, let it go. Just forget about it. Let's think about it. Let's review. Bob, the first servant, has been forgiven a billion days' wages. And in turn, he's ready to choke a guy to death over a fraction of that amount of debt. That doesn't seem right, does it? Seems crazy to me. Doesn't that sound crazy? Unfortunately, the reality is we kind of act that way too sometimes. I've been guilty of it. Sometimes we feel that same way about things. That's not even the worst of it, though. In Jesus' parable, not only does the first servant rough up the second servant who owes him money, he also throws him into jail until he can pay back the debt which just so you know, makes it virtually impossible for the guy to pay back what he owes. It'd be hard enough to pay back the debt, make a minimum wage, sacking groceries at the local grocery store. Now it's going to be nearly impossible for him to pay back the debt by hammering out license plates for Roman chariots in prison. Meanwhile, this dude's friends are not having it. While the first servant is choking out the second servant and dumping a big gulp over his head, all his buddies run out of the convenience store and down the street to the palace to tell the king exactly what has happened. As you can imagine, the king is furious. How can someone who has been forgiven so very much be so unforgiving of someone who owes him so little in comparison? Look at the king's reaction. Let's look at Matthew 18, starting in 30, verse 31. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed. They went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that he was owed. Wow. This is an incredible story. So many twists and turns that 
Have you really seen it and took in everything that's happened in this parable? Did you catch everything that's happened in this parable this morning? I would contend to you that the point of Jesus' parable is that since we as Christians have been forgiven of so much, we too should forgive others. I believe this is the main point that he's trying to convey to Peter, to his disciples, and in turn to us this morning. Since we have been forgiven, we too ought to forgive others. I think that's a pretty clear observation from our text today, but you can ask one of the next-gen kids. They're great at that. But we should forgive others. That being said, now that we know what denarii are and talents are, and we understand kind of the context of this story, I'd like us to reread this entire parable from start to finish again. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading something like this, I find myself getting bogged down with lots of questions and details that I end up missing the whole point of the text. So I think it'd be good for us to just really read through this again with a fresh set of eyes and look at the entire parable starting in the 21st verse. So Peter, Jesus has explained how you should approach your brother who sins against you. And then in verse 21, Peter approaches him and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me. That I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. So also, my heavenly Father will do to you unless one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. This parable is about more than forgiving someone for the money they owe you. This parable is about more than forgiving someone for cutting in line at the grocery store or forgiving someone for going under the speed limit or even at the speed limit in the fast lane, which, just so we all know, is the left lane. That's the fast lane. As great as an offense all of these things are, this parable is about more than that. This parable is about more than Peter forgiving his brother or sister for minor offenses they've made against him. This parable 
while an allegory, carries with it eternal consequences. This parable is about heaven. It has to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus shares this story to paint a picture of heaven and eternity. He states in verse 23, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, and then shares the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus shares this parable not as the cornerstone principle of three keys to get out of debt today, book for dummies, but rather Jesus uses it to illustrate the enormity of all that we as sinners have been forgiven of. Think about it. Each one of us owes an insurmountable amount of debt. Each one of us has accrued an incalculable amount of sin debt against the holy and a righteous God. And the worst part is there is absolutely nothing that we can do to repay this debt. However, if you're sitting here this morning or you're watching online or listening to this message in the car, then you and you are a Christian, then God has paid this debt off for you. If you are a Christian, your sin debt has been paid in full. You are sin debt free. Praise God. But if you're sitting here today, you are not a Christian. If you have not yet surrendered your life over to God and submitted to him, then your sin debt is still on you. This overwhelming debt is still surrounding you. But the good news is that today you can be released from that insurmountable debt. Today you can let go of that burden and grab a hold of Jesus. The gospel calls us to lay down our burdens, to throw off our sins and pick up our cross and experience the true freedom that comes from being a servant of God rather than a slave to our own unrighteousness. If that's you this morning, if you hear God calling you to lay down your burdens and follow him, come talk to me or call the church office and let's have a conversation about what it means to follow Christ and be redeemed from your sin debt. That's what this message is all about, being released from the debts of our sin. I once heard someone compare Christ's salvific work on the cross to his marriage with his wife. He said he tells people all the time that Christ saved him from his sins, but his wife saved him from dating. This is all fine, and I understand that. But he went on to say, that he wasn't sure which was worse. I was utterly dumbfounded. I'm dumbfounded this morning just telling you about it. He didn't know which was worse. He didn't know which was worse. The only way you could possibly say that or believe that is if you didn't fully comprehend the work that Christ accomplished on the cross for your sins. The eternal damnation of your soul or a few years spent on a dating website? If you can't tell me which is worse, then you don't understand forgiveness. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this parable this morning. He concludes this pericope of Scripture in verse 34 by stating that because he was angry, referring to the king, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or his sister from your heart. When you first read through these closing words by Jesus, 
it sounds like he is saying that salvation is a works plus situation. That if we don't forgive our brothers and sisters of their sins, then God will not forgive us. However, if you've read your Bible, you know that a works plus scenario, where you do all that you can do and then God does the rest to kind of make up the difference and get you across the finish line, is in fact contrary to Scripture. Just like the servants in this story, it is impossible for us to pay back our sin debt to God. It was impossible for the guys in this story to pay back their debts, especially after they were thrown in prison. It's impossible to pay back your debt from prison. One of the commentators that I read stated that the word jailers here in our text this morning literally means torturers. The debtor's torture would continue until his debt was paid in full. And since the debt could not possibly be repaid, the torture would go on forever. In fact, the torture listed here in Scripture symbolizes eternal punishment. Christian, that's what you've been saved from. Eternal punishment. I can't think of a single thing in this world that compares to that. The forgiveness from which is not a joking matter. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make with these closing comments of this portion of Scripture. If we can't forgive others, then how can God forgive us? Well, what's the point of the king forgiving the servant's massive, massive amount of debt if he was simply going to turn around and rather than forgive his brother, pass judgment on him and throw him into prison for a debt that pales in comparison to his own? The point that Jesus is making here is that if God has forgiven you of the sin in your life and thus saved you from eternal punishment and torture for the rest of time, then out of the abundance of the forgiveness that you have received, you should be able to forgive those who hurt you or offend you. Christ's forgiveness of our sins should create in us a transformed heart. If we are truly saved, if we are truly regenerate, then our heart of stone has been transformed into a heart of flesh that overflows with the love of God and thus is a heart filled with forgiveness for others just like the forgiveness that we have from God. So if you can't find in yourself to forgive others, then I would encourage you, examine your heart and reflect on whether you've been truly repentant of your sins and accepted Christ's forgiveness. Or as another theologian put it, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. All that being said, let's review what we've learned from God's word this morning. We have incurred a massive sin debt. And it is impossible, physically impossible, for us to pay this sin debt back. However, by God's great mercy and incredible patience, he has withheld the immediate and righteous judgment that we all deserve. Not only that, but God has provided the provision to pay our debt through Christ's death and resurrection. As a result, we ought to live a life that reflects the immeasurable great debt that has been paid. Brothers and sisters, since we have received such a great gift of salvation and forgiveness, let us also forgive those who sin against us and in turn proclaim the saving message of the gospel to others in hopes that they too might find the freedom 
that comes through salvation in Christ, in Christ alone. In light of everything we've learned from our text this morning, I'd like to leave you with an application and an encouragement out of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Church, let's start this new year off right. Let's leave all bitterness, anger, and wrath behind us in 2022. Let's start 23 with love in our hearts. Now is the time to let go of all the burdens that you've been carrying from your brother's offenses. Let us lay aside the hurt that we've been clinging to because of what our sisters have said or done to us. Rather, let us cling to God and forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. Let us walk in Christ. Let us live a life this year and forever moving forward that represents and reflects the sacrificial love that he has poured out on us so that we might live a sacrificial and fragrant offering to the Lord God. This is our charge. Based on today's parable and my encouragement to you this morning, will you pray with me? And as we do, I can't think of a more fitting prayer to close our time with than the Lord's Prayer outlined in Matthew 6. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Help us to live our lives with a thankful heart and a loving heart with forgiveness towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to leave all that nastiness behind us in 2022. Let us lay aside all those burdens and leave behind bitter anger, malice, wrath. Lord, help us to hold on to you this year. Help us to make you first in our lives, not just today, but every day. Lord, I I want to live as a fragrant offering to the Lord. Help us to always remember the immense amount of debt that has been paid. The work that you have done on the cross for us so that we wouldn't have to be tortured for all of time, but could spend eternity with you, praising your name, worshiping you, being with you. Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing in the lives of each and every one of us here. I thank you for the redemptive work that is continually going on. Lord, I pray that this year we would surround each other, that we would support one another, that we would be pillars for our brothers and sisters in their faith and their walk with God, that we could help bring each other towards glory and towards you. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done, all that you are doing, 
and all that you will continue to do in our lives, not just this year, but for many years to come. We worship you, Lord, and we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. It's in your name we pray. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.